0: Enjoy the Bat Around.
1: Peanuts! Peanuts!
0: And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stand the Fans' Bat Around. The next two hours, listening as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around, guys. Take it away.
2: And we are live here on this Saturday morning, the nineteenth of August. Stan the fan, along with Craig Heist. sitting in the uh, the control tower, is tall, handsome baritone Kyle Ottenheimer. How you doing, guys?
1: Can't complain. Can't complain.
2: Can't complain after hey. last night. I'll tell you that.
3: What's right? that guy? What's that guy's name? That used to work here. Uh, Tufa. Something like I that? Ca-
2: I swear, it sounds familiar. Yeah? I thought it was Barry's
3: Sverluga. No, for, no, S- not, S- for Luga. no. Sverluga. Yeah, no, that was very good. That was very good. Kudos to you on that, as opposed to last night on your Facebook live chat after the Orioles game, where, uh, Barry, was, where Barry, poor, poor Barry, Barry thought he was someone he never, else. <laughs> he never knew
2: what hit him. You know, I did not have... Is our feed on? By the way, our it
1: seems like it's freezing up a little on the yeah the because meme it's of.
2: not showing up for me to share. Nah,
3: not showing up for okay. me okay. either. All
1: right, I'll, 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 I'll reboot it. I'll get
2: All it going. right, we're gonna reboot that. Uh, big victory last night. It seems kind of fitting, Craig, that a lot of today's show is going to be about this 25th anniversary at Camden Yards because I got to tell you, for a house that hasn't had tons and tons of great memories. That's got to be in the top 10 or 12 all-time, the finish of that game last night, as Manny Machado hits not one, not two, but three home runs and tops it off with his third grand slam in the last 10 days, or 12 days, uh, seven RBI performance, and the O's get away with a, a victory. Let's
3: be honest;
2: they they had to have that victory last night. Yeah,
3: because it's the difference between being two behind the Angels and actually one team leapfrogged the Angels last night uh, That's to go. the Twins, the, the twins to to go into the second wild card spots. So now the Orioles, not just chasing Anaheim, but also chasing the Twins, and that was the difference. Uh, in, at least in terms of Anaheim. Uh, as uh, you know, being four back of them instead of two back, uh, so yeah, big big win in this stretch down of of uh, sixteen of nineteen at home. Uh, really, the Orioles have to make hay on this if they really win. And the, and the three games in between are in Boston against the Red Sox. Right. So so this this nineteen game stretch. Pretty imperative that the Orioles do well on it to try to keep themselves as close as they can to give themselves a chance down the last couple of weeks, including the New York Yankees, who I think we'd agree they
2: look like they're in the driver's seat for the first wild card spot. But I would say, with the injuries they've had to their starting pitching, that that's not a that's not a given that the Yankees are going to hold on to that. St- that spot and I don't think so either and I think any of the teams in there they are numerous teams there are nine total teams including the Yankees and including Toronto and Tampa and Texas
3: Who are now chasing
2: the Orioles?
3: Yeah, to you know, we're still
2: chasing Texas. Okay, but Toronto and Tampa are clearly and and boy, is Tampa faded. And
3: Texas wound up losing that game last night, Uh, four to three. Yep, but we're still a half game behind Texas. Right, so I mean, anything can happen. There's a lot of baseball to be played, uh, and and you know, for the Orioles, you're hoping for just. Decent starting pitching to be able to get to the bullpen, and you're hoping your offense stays hot. And it was hot last night on a hot and humid night at the yard. Ten home runs, five between both teams. Uh, and, of course, Manny with the big blow in the end. Uh, big blow and three total
2: last night. I wrote a piece for PressBoxOnline.com the other day, and the headline writers kind of cha- change a little, but but the essence of it was – as Manny Machado and Kevin Gosman go, so go the Baltimore Orioles. And Craig, for all the talk a month ago, you know about how this team needed a total rebuild and all that, isn't it amazing when your two best players, Manny Machado and Kevin Gosman, or your two most important players, mm-hmm. perform at the top of
3: their game? All of a sudden, the rest of the warts aren't so obvious
2: to everybody.
3: Well, yeah, and you don't need as much compound W. So <laughs> from that standpoint, yeah, it does turn out to be pretty good. But again, and it's just not been those two, but your point is well taken in terms of the two guys that everyone expect expected from the beginning to perform uh, like they're capable of, and it's not now until uh, the middle of the season or right after the All Star break, where both of them have decided that yeah, we need to we need to kick it up a gear, and they have, and I think that has a lot to do with one, in Gosman's case, why you were getting some quality starts out of a lot of different people. And then uh, also uh, with Machado's case, here's a guy sitting 220 at the All Star break, and now he's up to 261 or three, whatever, four. I think. Okay, whatever it the, is. The amazing thing it looks like now he's going to
2: catch scope in in both home runs and RBIs. Well, I'm sure he
3: will be. And you know, and did we, he catch
2: w- scope last night?
3: We vote. Are they both tied
2: for? for I'd home have run? to
3: check the stats, yeah. but I mean, we we vote at the end of the year for most valuable Oriole and. You know, if you you asked me that a week ago. Hands down, it's Jonathan, Jonathan scope, scope, and it still may be because right. it's a total the totality of the entire season. Uh, but certainly, what Manny's basically carrying his club by himself right now. Uh, Orioles win last night, nine to seven. Just an ungodly
2: performance by Jeremy Hellickson last night who had given up – he had made three other starts, correct, for the Orioles and had given up a total of one home run. Right. That three-run homer in Oakland, was it, or was it Anaheim? An- Anaheim. Anaheim. Uh, but aside from that, he had pitched some pretty good baseball. Not last night. Um, you know, not his best performance. Not one that he's going to be very proud of.
3: No, and uh, again, uh, some balls in the middle of the plate. probably some curve balls that he can get where he needed to have them. Uh, but from that standpoint, you know he's still going to be a guy that's going to help this team down the stretch, and his track record uh, says that he will keep his team in ball games. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, he'll get another one in five days, and uh, you're you're sitting there watching a, a, a rotation that's going to go through the process while having Dylan Bundy uh, pushed back, I guess, to Tuesday this week, maybe Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday, yeah. So. Uh, Again, you know, the Orioles trying to take it careful with Dylan, and at the same time trying to position themselves to make a run at this thing and get themselves a wild card spot.
2: Kirk, do you feel, uh, and I know you you take less of an acerbic tone most of the time about how, how people treat you in terms of the organization, do you feel that the organization, and really I'm talking about Buck, Mm-hmm. Was really honest all year about the Bundy situation. It was almost like there's no there's no innings there, there's no innings there's nothing that says that you got to w- watch exact number. And he was saying that to like two and a half three weeks ago, and Bundy's performance spoke to a very different reality. And sure enough, there may not have been an innings total, but what Buck said all along was I'll kind of know
3: when it's time to push it back a little bit, and they've pushed it back quite a bit. Well, they've pushed it back quite a bit, but I think we all knew this was coming uh, in terms of uh, not wearing him out or not trying to wear him out. We know he was approaching an innings limit he hadn't been at before, a starts limit he hadn't been at before. Uh, I I don't think anybody can really be surprised by this, and I I thought throughout the year – that Buck did hint at that. It was just a matter of when it was coming. All
2: right. Maybe I didn't hear the hints as well as you did. Uh, Kevin Gosman will go tonight, and then uh, he'll go against J.C. Ramirez. And then tomorrow, we're listed as, a to be determined, going against Parker Bridwell. Do you have
3: any idea what kind of curveball that guy has? No. I uh,
4: don't I'm just, know. I, I don't
2: know. But he probably doesn't make as much money as, uh, you know, yeah. some people. Some people. Uh, some <laughs> But who do you think that T B D will be? I've heard that it could be Tillman,
3: it could be Miley. Um your thoughts. I would think if it was anybody of those two, it would be Tillman at this point, uh, because he only pitched the one inning uh against Seattle out on the coast in the final series out there. Uh so from that standpoint I would think he would uh I, I think he would be more suited for it. Okay. All right. Then would it then be Miley Bundy Jimenez or Miley Miley, Jimenez Bundy in that order? Uh, I think it would probably be Miley Jimenez and Bundy if Bundy's getting pushed back to Wednesday. Then Wednesday. Well, no, because you have
2: today, tomorrow. Well, today's Gosman. Right. If we agree that Tillman is tomorrow, most likely then Jimenez, Jimenez, and and Miley. Miley, yeah. Jimenez, and then Bundy probably okay. Wednesday. Probably that, Wednesday, yeah. Unless they want to separate, uh, you know, and, and go with Bundy Tuesday and Jimenez on Wednesday. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Then the Orioles will have the day off on Thursday, correct? Uh, before the So will things. I. <laughs> before you, you the Nats are not in town.
3: Uh, they do not come back until Friday. All right. By against, the way. Against the Mets.
2: I took this out of the box last night. Kyle, just point me in. Is this the right camera?
3: Yes. Ah, uh, that'd be the
2: one. This is a pretty nifty – don't break it. It's a pretty nifty uh, little giveaway they're doing tonight. It's the replica ballpark
3: it of Camden
2: lo- Yards. It looks
3: great on camera.
2: It looks great on camera. It's got the 25th anniversary insignia there, even though it's the 26th season. And it says at a, it says twice on here, the ballpark that forever changed baseball – and that's I, I, actually. It seems like they've trademarked that because it's got the TM. Well, there. and
3: they should because almost every new ballpark that has been built uh, since uh, ninety two has had some some part of Camden some Yards, reflection of some Camden. reflection of Camden Yards in it. And some of the guys that we will hear from later in this show uh, of the opposing team, the Cleveland Indians, uh, two of their. Main cogs in that game are now coaches for the Anaheim Angels. And we had a chance to talk to both of them, uh, uh, Paul Sorrento and also Charles Nagy. Yesterday. Nagy was the starting pitcher Nagy opposing the
2: Orioles. Opposing
3: Rick Sutcliffe and the Orioles. And Sorrento uh, not only had the first hit at Camden Yards, he also hit the first home run at Camden Yards. Well, we're asking anybody that comes over to
2: watch us on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash sports. To please like us and please share us, uh, so we can um, advance our cumulative numbers of viewers. Uh, you can always listen to all the shows that run ten to twelve. Glenn Clark Radio with Glenn and Kyle Ottenheimer on Monday through Fridays uh, from ten to twelve. Saturday, the Battle Round with Craig Heist and myself. Sunday, uh, Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Ken Zalus, Sarita Hubbard, and Kyle Ottenheimer. All of those can be listened to by going to the PressBox website at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Um, let's, let's go down the lineup that we have uh, today mm-hmm. uh, on this program. <laughs> at about, in about five, six minutes, well, it's actually four or five minutes, we're going to get Rich Dubroff. I've got 1011 on my computer. I've got ten, 10 fourteen, yeah. okay, I'm, I didn't see it, so in two minutes or so we'll get Rich Dubroff on. then at about ten thirty eight ten forty, Charles Steinberg who was PR director of the Baltimore Orioles, I believe, in 92, when the stadium opened. If he wasn't PR director... He was 93, I think he became the PR director. PR director, director, but he was sort of director (laughs) of operations, game day operations or something like that. Rick Vaughn was still here at that time. That is correct. That is correct, sir. Yes. Uh, But Charles Steinberg, who's now the president of the Pawtucket Red Sox, will join us. We'll talk to him about his memories at Camden Yards. And we've got to get a sentence or two in or a question or two in, Craig, about this latest uh, bruja involving Yawkey Way and the name of Yawkey Way. And it makes it sound like that the events in Charlottesville just re- help reframe this argument that a lot of Bostonians feel that um, Tom Yawkey's uh, treatment of uh, minorities is not such that they'd like to have his name identified with the team anymore. I, for one, think that that's a a pretty dumb idea.
3: Well, I think it's a dumb idea for a lot of reasons, none of which we will get into right now for me. Uh, But, uh, yeah, Uh, Yawkey Way is as much a part of Fenway Park and uh, the Boston Red Sox, uh, you know, down Uh through history. And I think part of what is bothering me a lot about all of this is I get it, but there's a thing to be learned from history. Yeah, you know, plotting
2: history out is not necessarily the, the way to, to teach, go. The, the way right, to teach exactly. history, exactly. And and I would also say that the Yawkey family. I'm not saying you buy your way out of anything you did wrong. I think that Tom Yawkey, while he may not have been a visionary in terms of race relations, uh, the the good that his family did in that or, in that community. I think his name should still be attached in some regard. Anyway, well, I do. after Charles Steinberg's on with us, he's the president of Pawtucket Red Sox, Ben McDonald's going to join us. Then we're going to have your interview with Paul Sereno and Charles Nagy. Then we did a, a piece yesterday we've got on tape. Tony Pente is going to join us from Orioles Hangout to talk about the Oriole prospects. And then you've got a really nice piece at the end of the program on with Dusty Baker talking about his good friend, the late Paul Casanova yeah, who just passed and,
3: away, and Paul was catcher for the uh, Washington Senators. Uh, and and the one picture that I have of actually of Paul Casanova is him standing at the plate as Frank Robinson was crossing home plate down at RFK Stadium right. after the second of two grand slams that he hit in consecutive innings against the Senators in a twelve to two Orioles win. And uh, that—that's the one picture that I—I I, because everybody said, "Well, what what number did Casanova wear?" I said, "Oh, he wore eight because I have the picture." Right.
2: Well, uh, I had forgotten he was actually on the Atlanta Braves when Hank Aaron broke Babe yeah. Ruth's record. I did not remember. Yeah, and, that.
3: and Dusty Baker, we we talked to Dusty this past week because Dusty uh, played with Paul. Uh, not just there, but also the Dominican League and also uh, some some minor league down in Miami.
2: Well, clearly they were really good friends. Joining us right now is a good friend of ours, Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, how are you this morning? I'm great, Stan. How are you doing? Good. I know you you uh, try and be as objective as possible all throughout the 162-game regular season grind and all the preseason stuff and exhibition season, but that one had to be pretty special even for you as an objective observer last night.
0: Yeah, we're you know you don't see very many game-ending grand slams, especially ones that you know bring you from a uh, uh, bring you from a deficit to a to a win. But the game the game itself was just kind of dizzying. Yeah, you know watching all those home runs uh, fly out of there, and it really wasn't a It really wasn't a surprise to me when when Machado hit it, and of course a lot of fans will will try and say, "Oh, this will be a big win, and it'll uh, you know get get the Orioles back going again." Uh, But it 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 was a big win. It was a big win mathematically because
2: it it was uh, an almost must victory mathematically. You know,
0: because you know the Angels are one of many teams that are ahead of the Orioles in the you know in the wild card and uh and now the angels and the twins are tied for uh the second wild card and the orioles are are two games behind and it's a little more uh you know it, it, it's a little more manageable and you know these le- these two games here are really important because it's their last shot at the angels like you know the the royals and the twins are ahead of the Orioles, but they're done playing them yep. so there's nothing they can uh you know they can do directly and you know, you know these games are important, and the games that they're playing against the Rays will be important because they're in the, uh, you know, they're in that chase too. But the Orioles are still going to have to put together a, uh, you know, a sustained, uh, a sustained streak of excellence here for them to to really do something because the, you know, it's it's there for them. You know, it's there for any team that uh, that, that can go on a streak and. With uh, you know six weeks remaining and forty games remaining, they're going to have to you know they're going to have to play really well. You know, let's say twenty five and uh, twenty five and fifteen or or, or better to uh, uh, to get this. I think.
3: Well, with sixteen of nineteen at home and the three that are in between are at Fenway against the Red Sox, I would have to think that this is the stretch where they really have to make or break their season. Uh, the Orioles, let me just interrupt
2: you for one second. It's really fascinating. They are plus 13 at home. Yeah. But they're minus 15 on the road. Yeah. And when you really look at the total numbers, they got 22 home games left, 18 on the road. If they just stick to that math, it's not going to be good enough.
3: You no, know, it's not going to be good enough. But by the same token, uh, I-, I just think this stretch – you, you'll have a tendency after this stretch to see where you are, yep. and a lot of that will determine, I think, how you play the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you're right, Craig. But also, they're playing slightly better. You know, since the All Star break, their games on the road have been slightly better. They lost, you know, six of ten uh, on the, you know, on the West Coast. But you know, there've been a lot of West Coast trips they've had that have been worse than that. Um, and you know all their games now are in the eastern time zone and at the beginning of the season the first 33 games were in the eastern time zone and that's when they did the best they were 22 and 11 and they were mostly playing the AL East which is um what's going what's going to be happening uh after pretty much after they get through uh you know after they get through this homestand we're talking with uh, Rich. Very few of their ga- you know other, very few of their games are going to be against uh, you know, non East teams.
2: We're talking with Rich Dubrov, who writes for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, the other day on the website, I wrote a piece that essentially boiled it down to all this talk during the, you know, leading into the trade deadline that the Orioles needed a, this massive rebuild and we got to trade Manny, we got to trade Britain and get all these young players and all that. When your two most important performers, and I'll argue that Machado and Gosman were the club's two most important performers coming into the season, when they're playing at the top of their game, they they do away with a lot of other warts you might have as a team.
0: Right. And also uh, also in this so called rebuild they were gonna do, they ended up with a shortstop yep. who's uh been dynamic you know, maybe the shortstop for yep. next year. Yeah. Uh, you know the, they added. Uh, you know they added a player who's now batting, who's now batting three hundred. You know when he came to the Orioles on July thirty first, Tim Beckham was batting two fifty nine.
2: Right, he's now hitting three hundred. That is amazing. Yeah.
0: That is amazing. And you know, and of course Machado. Uh, you know Machado was batting two thirty uh, at the All Star break. He had started to hit a uh, you know uh,
2: just, earlier just in the before month. that. Yep.
0: Yeah, but. You know it, that's like and, and and Zach Britton's back. And the interesting thing is that because of the because of the way the games have gone, Britain, since he's been back, has had very very few save opportunities. The team, you know, nobody else has saved the game while Britain, you know, Britain was back uh, because you know when they first brought him back, they wanted to uh, you know not put him in the in the ninth inning, but. None of those games were save opportunities. But you just look at the, you know, I think he's had five saves. five, or I think it's six since he's been back. And that's all the save opportunities they've had. So they've, they've generally, you know, won the games pretty handily when they've, uh, you know, when they've won. Or or like last night, uh, you know, that last night was, uh, of course, you know, the type of game you see once every five, the uh, type of ending you see maybe once every five years.
3: Well, the other thing I was going to say or, or ask you about was the the pitching uh, alignment. Now we know we got Kevin Gosman tonight. Tomorrow's a TBA. Now is that potentially a Chris Tillman start there?
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, it is potentially a Chris Tillman start unless they need him. Uh, unless they need him in the early innings tonight. You know, the the thing that the thing that's been damaging has been they've gotten. You know, after getting a lot of really good starts. Uh, they'd gone. They had gone until this week, a month uh, between five inning, uh, five inning or less starts, except for one. Chris Tillman's two plus inning start earlier this month was the only, uh, you know, the only start less than five innings for an entire month. And now they've had three in a row. Right. And fortunately, they had a road. Fortunately, they had an off day because. If you had back to back to back, uh, you know, four and a third, four and two thirds inning starts, uh, then you know, then the bullpen realignment, the bullpen alignment has to change because you're going to be using um, you're going to be using guys up. So it's important that uh, they get a really uh, you know a really deep start, the kind that Gosman has been giving them. Uh, He has to give them uh, one of them tonight, and then they're going to have to get. You know, Miley and Jimenez uh, to continue giving them you know deeper starts because the the ones that they they got from them on Tuesday and Wednesday aren't going to you know aren't going to work. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you know then they'll be able to space but you know they'll be able to space Bundy out because they think that if if they can get those deeper starts and then maybe mix Tillman back in there, uh, then you know for the next. Uh, 12 days until the rosters expand, maybe with two off days they can go with a six-man pack.
2: We're talking to Rich Dubrov, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Just a couple more minutes with you, Rich. Uh, Yesterday they made what I guess you would call somewhat of a a difficult decision. Um, They opted not to risk losing Craig Gentry uh, by trying to option him back to the minor leagues. They sent Joey Rickard, who had uh, options left. And by the way, you explained a little technicality that although they're technically using an option to send him down, that option's not even going to count against him because of what, Rich?
0: Well, actually, this was done after the game on after the game on Wednesday uh, in Seattle. Uh, Joey Rickard was send, was optioned down in the minor leagues. To the, the A Norfolk because the Orioles felt that Craig Gentry would not pass through waivers. Uh, Craig Gentry's out of options. He twice passed through waivers earlier this season. They didn't think that he could a third time because they felt that one team, another contender might snap him up. And the Orioles liked uh, his speed and his defense. And Rickard has three options but because he is being sent down, he was sent down so late in August. Uh, thinking is that they can bring him up September first when the roster's expand, And if he doesn't spend 20 days in the minor leagues, uh, one of those options is not
3: used. So he'll have three options for next
0: year.
2: That's fascinating. Uh, I never, I never knew that. Rule.
3: How, how would that then affect uh, him as far as being on the postseason roster if he's not up here until September the first? Well, no. As long as you're w- with the organization,
0: okay, good enough. As long as you're with the organization before September first, gotcha. You can be, uh, you know. Well, you, yeah. you Can be, you can be used. So uh, I would think certainly if if there were. You know, if they were fortunate enough to get into the postseason, they would want uh, both Rickard and Gentry because you know then then you can mess around with your pitching staff and you don't have to have um, you know 12 pitchers necessarily in the postseason because of uh, uh, because of off days. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised, Craig, if they went out and uh, and, and made another trade or, you know another minor trade or two uh, to try and get maybe. A, you know, another pitcher, uh, if there was one who was, uh, you know, if there if there was one who was available.
3: Was the Chris Davis thing last night just a night off, or is there something physically ailing him? And the reason I ask –
2: He apparently had a really bad case of the flu.
3: Okay, because uh, the reason I ask uh, was because I was not in Buck's presser at the beginning because I was over in, uh, in the Angels uh, clubhouse trying to get something for today's show from – uh, two of their coaches, who are used, who used to be the uh, uh, the starting pitcher and, uh, starting, and, first and baseman. starting first baseman for the Indians for when Camden Yards first opened. So,
0: yeah, well, he uh, Davis came down with the flu in Oakland, as did Wellington Castillo. Uh, D- uh, Castillo was still in the ballpark last night, uh, Buck Showalter said after the game, but was in pretty rough shape, and Davis was in very uh, very rough shape. So, yeah, he was uh, he was ill.
2: Well, okay. bringing up the the illness of Chris Davis, it opened up an opportunity for Anthony Santander to play, and he was right in the middle of that game-winning rally last night with a very tough at-bat against right uh, veteran, a veteran pitcher in Yosmeri Petit. And, uh,
0: you know, Santander, you know, it's funny. This was you know, obviously the first time we've seen him uh, in uh, – you know, in the big league setting, saw him in spring training, which is a lot different. And he did not carry himself as if he were intimidating. You know, his his at bats looked you know, he he's gonna be overmatched a bit, but his at bats didn't look to be, you know, terrible and of course that veteran at and he played you know, he played, played some good very, outfield and there were a yeah. lot of question there were a lot of questions about whether he could be an outfielder. So If you have Santander, if they're able to pull this off and and Santander is going to be a contributor, well, that's just as good as if, you know, as if they developed him themselves. You know, when you get a Rule 5 guy like Rickard or like Ryan Flarity and you're able to to stick with him for that year, then, you know, then it's just as if you had, uh, you know, you had developed them yourselves so i think that he's good you know santander's going to be an interesting guy to watch for the rest of the season he may not play a whole lot uh you know if they're contending and if you have davis uh trumbo Mancini, uh maybe uh hard to you know find places for him but you know but they'll you know they'll spot him here and there and then you know who knows he may be you know, they'll probably go back into the rule 5 draft again next year because they've had such uh that's good success with it and well, you and I you and fine. I you and
2: I talked about that last night. I don't see with Santander needing to be here forty five days at the outset of next season, unless there's a very similar scenario where they got a guy who's hurt and that's why he's being exposed, the rule five. I think this is one year that, that Dan doesn't need it. I think there's too many prospects of our own now that are gonna be vying for Spots on this roster next year.
0: Well, I'm not sure pitching wise that's going to be the case. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, so far, uh, so far
2: they have picked up <laughs> Logan Verrett and Jason Garcia. I rest my case.
0: <laughs> well, they also picked up T.J. McFarland, who did. I rest, them,
2: like I say, I rest my case.
0: Well, he, he T.J. McFarland, uh, you know, in his first two years, uh, gave them some. Uh, yeah. You know, was pretty valuable, and then he wasn't. He was valuable until he wasn't. That's,
2: <laughs> hey, speaking well, of pitching, before we let you go, because uh, I want to get you out in time, I know you got some things you got to do, but um, a guy who's been, I, think, I don't think people have gotten to know Roger McDowell at all, I know I haven't, but I've raised my eyes or rolled my eyes whenever his name's brought up, as if, not that things that happened this year with the starting rotation are his fault, but that he hadn't really helped anybody advance and now, if that's true for the first three months of the season, then you have to also sort of give him a compliment and say that he's worked pretty hard at getting some, some professional starts out of this rotation.
0: Well, I know where I actually know Roger. You know, I've gotten to know Roger McDowell. Right. I knew him a bit when he was a player. Uh, I will tell you, this is a very, you know, this is a very hard-working guy uh, on the road. You know, even after the when the games are over, he's sitting in the clubhouse, oftentimes at his tablet, Mm -hmm. reviewing, uh, you know, reviewing what he has just seen. Uh, And uh, Buck Showalter, who's not a slacker when it comes to work, says that you know McDowell often beats him to the ballpark. Uh, You know, early getting there early in the morning to review things, and he's a very very. You know, he's a very, very uh, hard-working guy. And he was so hard-working as a a pitcher that, uh, you know, in in 1985, uh, when the Mets were playing uh, Atlanta in a famous rain delay game that ended about 4 a.m., he he worked so hard that he ate uh, ate cheeseburgers uh, during the rain delay. So he's been a hard worker his whole life.
3: I'll leave you with this before we let you go, and that's that. Anthony Santander was given the number 25, and immediately I thought to myself, again, blasphemy. They gave somebody 25, and Luke Jones got up yesterday and walked by me and said, you know, I can't believe they gave Santander 25. Hunsu Kim hasn't been gone a month yet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. Or Jim Tomey. Or Jim Tomey, or or Jim Jim right. All right, Rich, many <laughs> thanks. I'll see you at the ballpark. Uh, exciting night tonight with the Home Run Derby contest.
3: Who wins that thing? I think it's Brady, hands I down.
2: I think it's Chris Hoyles. Nah. Chris Hoyles. All right. Rich, you got an opinion? Uh, I, I think Craig's
3: going to win. No, I'm not I'm not participating, Rich. All right. We'll see you later, oh, well, Rich. you were. All right. <laughs> Thank thanks, you. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you later. All next. right.
2: We'll take a quick time out, and when we get back, we'll be joined by our man, Charles Steinberg, in just a minute or two. All right.
5: donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866 492 2770. That's givethegoodwill.org 866 492 2770.
1: Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now.
6: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we take a significant look into the Ravens' upcoming first-ever trip to London. What does it take for an NFL team to make such a trip? How are Ravens fans getting themselves across the pond for the game? What are fans doing in Baltimore if they can't make the trip? And which Ravens player will the trip mean the most to? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The
7: par Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839.
5: Call now. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh,
1: I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps.
5: Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps.
1: I have the chaps that I have.
5: Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar-pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, Green leaf lettuce and a zesty smokehouse barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the watermelon mint lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the smokehouse barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick Fil A Nottingham Square, fifty-one ninety-eight Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello, and get there before August nineteenth because these items are available for a limited time only.
2: Uh, we are back on the air. Press box. Press box presents the battle round. Stand the fan along with Craig Heist, and uh, again the Orioles will celebrate the 25th anniversary of uh, the opening of Camden Yards tonight. Hard to believe. Hard to believe, and uh, I, and they are giving away mentioned... this. They're giving away this. Uh,
3: Replica of the ballpark. There you go. And the, I I made mention to uh, several people last night that the one thing that was very important about that day, besides a 2 nothing Oriole win, is something you don't see very often nowadays, and that's two minute, or two hours and two minutes. Yes. and uh, <laughs> Very quick game. Very quick
2: right. game. We're going to hear from two of the main <laughs> players in that game from the Cleveland side. Their starting pitcher, Charles Nagy, along with the gentleman who got the first hit in the history of Camden Yards and... A day later, the first home run, or two days later, first home run in the history of Camden Yards, that's Paul Sorrento. But right now joining us is a man who was instrumental in a lot of the way that this ballpark got presented to the public, and that is our good friend, he's currently the president of Pawtucket Red Sox, that is Charles Steinberg. Charles, thank you for taking a few minutes with us to talk about uh, how special Camden Yards
4: has been. Well, I'm uh, I'm happy to do it, happy to talk to you, and happy to talk to everybody in my beloved hometown.
3: There you go. Doesn't get any better than that. Charles, let me ask you something. Uh, along with Janet Marie Smith, uh, the vision for this ballpark and what it's become and the fact that it, it's it's basically stood the test of time over 25 years, when you think about – uh, maybe a ballpark like the ballpark in Arlington, which is getting ready to be replaced in the next right. couple of years. Uh, this thing has really stood the test of time, and it's really just as beautiful today as it was the day it opened.
4: Well, it's a remarkable thing because of its impact not only in Baltimore uh, but on the rest of the United States. And uh, if you go back to uh, the origin, um, uh, if you think back to the 1986 World Series, Uh, so October of 86, um, we were watching the World Series at Memorial Stadium in a room uh, with our designated hitters, and Larry Latino uh, said to me, you know, we're going to build not one, but two new stadiums. I said, what are you talking about? And he explained why Memorial Stadium just wouldn't be able to compete in the future, and he said, um, uh, one's going to be a ballpark, an old-fashioned downtown ballpark with modern amenities, and then separately we'll build a football stadium. I said, are you nuts? <laughs> I said, there is no way that's going to happen. There's not even an appetite for one new stadium, much less two. And he shook his finger at me and said, you'll see, you'll see. So Larry Lupino. Uh, will go in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, as will Janet Marie Smith. Uh, in fact, I think they should both go in the Orioles Hall of Fame. That uh, would make sense. Yeah. Larry had the vision, and then uh, two, a little more than two years later, uh, he brought on Janet Marie Smith to translate his vision architecturally into the marvel that it is. And you're right. is Orioles management for keeping it so uh, pristine, but it is still the one that all the uh, the new ballparks point to as the point of inspiration.
3: And the other thing to me that's also very important, I think, is the sense that you know, for as long as this ballpark's been around, then there's been no naming rights to it. It's always been Oriole Park at Camden Yards.
4: That was uh, important to Larry. Larry negotiated that point uh, when he made the lease with the city that if that they would be prohibited from selling the name. He wanted it to stay, um, um, you know, a, a pristine name that would harken back uh, to the uh, early twentieth century ballparks.
2: You know, Charles, it's interesting. I've always given Larry. Uh, a tremendous credit for the vision that is Camden Yards, but you just gave me a date where a gentleman who I really liked an awful lot as well as Larry was Edward Bennett Williams, and, and that was the date of the World Series of '86. Now, Mr. Williams was still sick. Uh, I mean, he'd been sick and battling cancer for a while, but but that that pre that predated the signing of the the lease with the the city and the state by a couple of years, by a year and a half. half. So was Larry partly carrying out EBW's vision as a legacy to EBW as well as his own vision?
4: EBW knew that we needed a new ballpark that would unify the the Baltimore and Washington markets, but the vision of a small, intimate, cozy, old-time ballpark uh, was uh, singularly Larry, Larry's, okay. and in fact, and in fact, uh, Williams had said to Larry, "So what do you think uh, a new ballpark would have? Uh, Fifty-five thousand. Since Memorial Stadium has 53000 And Larry said, "No, no, no. It'll actually be in the low 40s. Right. And Williams said, "The low forties? Are you crazy?" Right. He said, "When you go and you and you move to a new house." You moved to a bigger house. <laughs> right, right. You don't move to a smaller house. And Larry said, no, 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 no. This is going to be a new kind of house. It's going to be in the low 40s, but all the seats will be good. You won't be sitting out in the rafters. So, yeah, the, the vision was singularly Larry's, and I remember it vividly because he was so alone in the vision. Right. None of us knew what the heck he was talking about. Thank God for Mayor Schaefer, who became governor. Uh, he he understood what Larry was talking about.
2: We're talking with Charles Steinberg. He's currently the president of the Pawtucket Red Sox, a farm, Triple A Farm Club of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Larry Lucchino has the ownership group that bought the Pawtucket Red Sox, and he named you. How are you enjoying your time as president of a Triple A baseball team?
3: And also, I'd like to ask that, uh, along with Stan. The, the things that you are doing with that stadium in Pawtucket.
4: You know, it's, it is a blast. And the origin of thought for all we do is in Baltimore in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The principles that I love applying are the ones I grew up believing in and loving from the Orioles of the 60s and 70s before I even started working there. And um, uh, it, it's community baseball. It's um, always doing everything you can for the neighborhoods and for the kids, uh, for the children. You know, in the um, at the Orioles, when we were little kids growing up, uh, there were the baseballs. Uh, Julie Wagner later modernized it and called them the base runners. But they were just goodwill ambassadors who could turn an ordinary visit to the ballpark uh, into something extraordinary with the slightest of touches. Uh, so the, the personal touch is so um, uh, abundant in, in, um, in minor league baseball. We made it abundant in major league baseball, but others teased us, you know, saying, ah, oh, that's like minor league. Well, yeah, thank you. So when the people come, we know their names. You know, you visit them uh, at their seats. You may visit them in their neighborhoods where they live. So it's very much in the way that um, that I feel like we all grew up, uh, uh, knowing that the Orioles were a class organization, knowing that they were the model. That that's what we aspire to achieve. So it's very, very much a child of of my Orioles childhood.
3: Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> excuse me. The things I remember most uh, about this ballpark when it first opened. Uh, the excitement of the All Star Game just a year after it was open, and and kind of what that that to me showcased the place for the whole country, and I, and I well, thought I thought having the All Star Game here was a big big deal for just the second year in the ballpark.
4: It really was, and it was um, uh, what Lupino's uh, strategy was. He he gathered us all in a staff meeting uh, in April of ninety two. And he said, "Look, he said ballparks can go one of two ways. You're going to get the early crowds for the novelty, but when the novelty wears off, you can either be left with a really good ballpark or it can go into a decline." He said, "The feature that will keep this sustained as a phenomenon is, and then for the next, and then he said." Service, 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 <laughs> service, service. He said, I had a professor who said, if you tell someone something ten times, they'll remember it. So he said that word ten times. And that that was why we took uh, the, the, the base runners and the customer service at Camden Yards up to new heights. And having the All-Star Game in the second year, uh, he said, will give us two years To make a first impression,
3: well, you know, so many
4: people will will come see it for the first time in the second year, and uh, and buying a two year first impression was um, a real was was one of his many acts of genius.
3: Well, I think I have my timeline pretty well set here, and the fact that the amount of sellouts and packed houses in that place up until about ninety nine or so when the team kind of started to decline after the playoff years of 96 and 97. I mean, that's a long time. That's about seven years of nothing but big-time, you know, capacity crowds at the ballpark.
4: And, and we left. You know, Larry left um, uh, in October of 93. Um, I stayed on and uh, then later followed him to San Diego in February of 95. So when, when, when I left, I was not used to seeing any green seats, yeah. during a ball game yep. there, were, there were people in every
2: seat we 're talking with Charles Steinberg. he worked for the Orioles for many, many years in multiple capacities and he 's 19 years. nineteen years years. he 's a baseball lifer he 's the president of the Pawtucket red sox charles i 've got to ask you something. I wrote a piece that was a little bit different uh, for press box that just came out this week. And I named my 25 year MVP, and I'll say it loud that the MVP was most valuable person at Camden Yards. And I named Boog Powell as my MVP for his enduring and um, his enduring presence and the goodwill that he brings to Oriole baseball. Uh, what were your original thoughts when you heard that Boog was going to come back to Baltimore and open up this barbecue stand that has become? Like, iconic. There,
4: there are some personalities in our lives that, when you hear their name, bring a smile to your face. You know, everybody universally adores Brooks Robinson. Uh, rightly so. He's my hero. Uh, there's no one like him. And then, then you start talking about Brooks and Frank and Palmer and Weaver and Eddie and Cow. But when you say Boog Powell, there's the jolliness about him. And I remember laughing because that sounded so fun for Boog to be on the Utah Street corridor. Now, what was what was difficult about it was my office was on the second floor of the <laughs> warehouse, and I had um, those bay windows that you would slide up on a summer's day. Right. And Boog would start cooking the barbecue around three or four o'clock. And that aroma would absolutely be intoxicating. <laughs> so I don't think it did uh, my body any good to be eating barbecue every day.
3: I was just going to say, uh, it. never never helped any of our diets, mm-hmm. that's for sure.
4: You know, I, I tried to go with, um, I think it was, it was the, the turkey, but in any event, having boo as a human embodiment of the kindness of a ballpark gave the ballpark uh, it, it animated in human terms, yes. The kindness that you hoped it would um, it would provide. I should have called. And it I, still
2: does. I should have called you to get quotes before I wrote the piece. <laughs> <laughs> I might have had somebody say it a little bit better than I did. Um, I wanted the club and the and the fans in, in this town to realize that Boog Pal is not just a vendor for the catering, the concessionaire. That he is giving that ball club millions of dollars over the years in goodwill toward the ball club.
4: Well again, you know, when you're a little kid and you go to the game hoping that you might get someone's autograph, your chances of getting an active player's autograph are there but they're a little bit a little bit slim. And, uh, and my, my parents are gone now, but I remember my mother made she rest in peace when I went to my first opening day uh, in fourth grade she pointed to two gentlemen that go get their autographs. I took my oriel scorebook. Well, it was the mayor and the governor. Mayor McKeldin and Governor Todd. And you realize that there are people outside of those active players for whom it's really special for a little kid to meet. And when Boog is there on the Utah Street Carter, and you can meet him and a father or a mother can teach their son or their daughter the stories of, again, this jolly big fellow who was, um, you know, one of the best home run hitters, one of the, you know, the MVP of the 1970s, you know, just go on and on and on and on. Then you're perpetuating the stories of the game, but you actually have a human handshake and a smile that you can associate it with. And Boob's personality is pivotal. I remember saying to Boog once, just casually, yeah, hi, Boog, are you having a good time? And he said, Charlie,
2: that's the only kind of time I have. That's right. Charles Steinberg, I've got to ask you a little bit more complex a question than asking you about Boog Pal before we let you go. I know you don't speak for the Boston Red Sox or John Henry, but the events in Charlottesville the other day have brought to light a story that I hadn't realized was so sort of – painful for Bostonians, and that is the name of Tom Yawkey, uh, his name being attached to Yawkey Way, which is Boston's equivalent to Utah street up at Fenway Park. Uh, was this discussion about trying to get the name changed because of Tom Yawkey's stance or the ball club stance on, on racial progressiveness back in the 40s and 50s? Was that something that John Henry has always been interested in?
4: John Henry has been passionate about about uh, inclusion. When we joined the Red Sox, um, we we went. Uh, they closed the purchase of the club on February 27th of uh, 2002. So in March, we came up from spring training, and John Henry waved a book at me uh, that had just been written about. Uh, the Red Sox racial history and you know it wasn't a, a flattering yeah. uh, history and John said to me he said it is our job to change this and that was fine I mean that was years to my ears because growing up in Baltimore working with the Orioles uh, there had always been the the knitting of a fan base you know that included everyone and you know, we all knew about Baltimore in the 60s and the, the, um, how it was yeah. hurt. and I was so wounded by the riots of 1968, um, and yet uh, you know, years later when Eddie Murray is uh, leading us to the 79 uh, pennant and the 83 World Series, you felt this palpable unity. So having a unified fan base is bread and butter to those of us who grew up loving the Orioles. So it was it was a pleasure to work on him. The idea of renaming the street got brought up from time to time uh, in staff meetings, and it was a very hot issue. There were very passionate views from both sides because there are those who knew Tom Yawkey who yep. will tell you with every fiber in their soul that he was a wonderful man. Uh, he was wonderful whether he, uh, whether you were black or white. And they will tell you that, uh, you know, he had a great relationship with Jim Rice. But they'll go right on down the line. And then there are those who say, but this is the team that did not integrate uh, for 12 years after Jackie Robinson. This is the team that had a chance to have Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays on the same team. And you wouldn't have had to wait 86 years to end the curse. So it is a, a hot topic. But those who knew Tom Yucky well, swear by him, and those who take a look at uh, the dynamics of uh, the racial state in America can look at, at uh, his name and say that it really um, uh, delayed uh, the, the feeling of inclusion that I hope we now have at Fenway Park today.
2: Charles, I'm sorry to hit you with that complicated question, but you hit it out of the park. We'll talk more about it some other time. We've got a date with Ben McDonald in just a couple minutes. I will do that. And thank you for spending some time with us and tell Larry I said
4: hello. I will. Thanks and happy anniversary to Camden Yard. All right. There
3: you go.
2: Charles Steinberg, one of the uh, truly great guys uh, around the Orioles.
3: And part of what you're talking about there also has to do, you can also uh, mesh in the fact that what happened to Adam Jones. Yeah, up in Boston, up in Boston, at Fenway yeah. Park.
2: I think where you and I come, and we we don't agree on a, a lot of things politically, but no. I also, <laughs> but I also am a believer that obliterating Yawkey's name doesn 't really help teach people lessons or, or, or know the real history of things well because they'll come down and it'll be a big the, poppy way I and mean the
3: sad part about it is Stan what you see a lot of times with the protesters and the violence and things like a lot of times these people don't know what they're protesting, they don't know why they're out there. they just want to be a part of the scene and you know educate yourself and understand why things are the way they are. Yeah. You can't throw history out the window. Out the window even though it's not good history. E- exactly. Exactly. You know, uh,
2: being Jewish myself, I you know, it would be great if some way we could obliterate the Holocaust, yeah. but the Holocaust happened and it's far better to understand that so you don't repeat it in right, history. Exactly. If you obliterate your history, you're more liable to repeat it.
3: Now, our next guest, when Kyle gets him up here and we we make our connection.
2: What number did he wear?
3: Uh, Who? Ben? Yeah. I thought he wore 19. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. So he took Dave McNally's number. (laughs) No, one of the greatest photos ever of Ben McDonald happened during a torrential downpour at Camden Yards. Right. And Ben is the only person in the dugout. I mean, the dugout's flooded, the hallway's flooded. Ben is the only person in that dugout, and he's sitting up on the top of the bench right. with a Orioles floppy hat on right. with a fishing rod in his hand. And he's got the thing just down. <laughs> I remember it, the picture. Uh,
2: outstanding. I remember the picture. Joining us now is uh, a man who wore number 19 with a lot of pride for the orange and black, and that is the big right-hander, Ben McDonald. Ben First after telling you uh that we both Craig Heist and I thank you for being on with us, I gotta tell you something. I would really love to see you doing a lot more Oreo baseball on the radio and T V. Is that is there any chance of that ever happening where you do more than say twenty games, where you might do like a like a Palmaresque eighty games or something like that?
8: I, I think so, guys. Well, first of all, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I, I heard the fishing story that that takes me back just <laughs> years ago. But that was uh, that was that was some fun time. That was right before they uh, they really got the drainage uh, all the kinks kind of worked out into the, uh, the new Oriole Park. You know? Boy, so yeah, I remember I remember swimming out to the dugout because down the tunnel, it's even deeper there. So I actually had to swim out to the uh, the dugout, you know. So yeah, that was. Uh, that was some good times and but, uh, and yeah, you know, had flip twins. flops
3: on that's the other thing that's yeah. right
8: i have I have my old shower shoes on yep. it's like I was sitting under a, an oak tree back at home <laughs> <checking> a <few laughs> with a with a worm and a hook you know, and so uh uh good times for sure uh, uh really gets fun to see the the guys this weekend and kind of catch up a little bit, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean I wouldn't mind that at all. I, I love coming back in town, I love doing oreo games. this has always mm-hmm. been my second home and uh, everybody forgets i was a 21 year old kid i first came to baltimore by myself and i really grew up here in a lot of different ways and so this has always been uh my second home and uh i hope to in the future and you know do more games i know we're we're talking about that and college baseball keeps me busy you know and, and that kind of stuff but uh, i'm hoping one day to maybe work out something to where i'm i'm here a lot more than i am now because i certainly enjoy being here
2: Well, let me tell you, first of all, do you have a preference? You sound great on the radio, uh, but I know you can do television just as well. Do you have a preference for either?
8: Well, you know, I really enjoy both sides of it. You know, it gives me a lot of experience doing it. Uh, Rick Sutcliffe told me yesterday that I got a face made for radio, you know. And I don't know what he meant by that, but that's what he told me. (laughs) But anyway. Trust me, I can
3: can tell you what he means by that. Yeah.
8: I do uh I do a lot of TV stuff with the college game. I do love the the TV part of it too and the, and I'm just as comfortable uh doing that as well. Uh so if that opportunity came along certainly I would <clears throat> I would certainly welcome that. And I have done a little bit of TV years ago when they brought me back and I I did a few games with Gary Thorne and really enjoyed that the pre and post game show which was which was fun to do as well. So I'm really comfortable doing it all and, and I but I like radio too. It's just something different about the radio and uh Love working with Joe Angel. He does such a nice job. He's such a professional guy, and it's a lot of fun with me and him get together. We, we have a good time. Of course, when the Orioles are winning, it makes it even that much better.
3: Let me ask you something. A lot of guys are back uh, for this uh, celebration of the 25th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. One of the guys who uh, you pitched alongside, uh, Mike Messina, he's in town as well, uh, yeah, you had a lot of injury problems, but, you know, obviously uh, if if that rotation kind of would have stuck together, that would have been a pretty formidable thing, don't you think?
8: Oh, no doubt. I mean, look, I mean we, we didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously, looking to a crystal ball back in 92 but uh, it was, uh, you know, Messina was so talented and, uh, you know, he, he, he picked the game up a lot faster than I did. You know, he was a Stanford guy and he graduated and I didn't. It took me a little bit longer to kind of start to figure things out that did him. He kind of, he figured it out right away. You know, He'll tell you that guy. too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's not shy when it comes to that, you know? And so, uh, he, yeah, he made it clear that he was smarter than me. He can tell me that all the time. And that was okay until I would pick him up and put him in a trash can or something. But anyway, that's another story in itself. But, uh, you know, he, he was, right. and Sutcliffe came along at the ben? right time. And, did and, we lose and Ben? A yoke. There yeah. we go. There we go. I could I can hear you. you know, yeah, Buckley we got we got you back. To, at the, you know, I enjoyed having Sut there because he was the veteran guy and he really helped the maturing process of of me and and Mike and some of the other younger guys that was on the staff. So Sut was a blessing to have, but it was a very talented staff. It was me and Mike were learning how to pitch, and Sut was already there, and, and it was a lot of a lot of good times, you know. And if it weren't for the injuries, yeah, who knows what 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 could have happened? Because I felt like I was just really figuring it out when it all happened at 29 for me, but that's just part of part of ball. And sometimes some things happen, you can't control, you know, it's just the way it is.
2: Ben, uh, one of the games I remember that Rick Sudcliffe uh, was involved in uh, t- tangentially off to the side was a game. Mike Musina was pitching a Sunday afternoon game. I was not at the ballpark. I don't think I was home, but it was Musina against Chris Bassio And uh, what in, what what ended up happening was probably the the most crazy brawl I've ever seen. Uh, do you remember that against the Mariners?
8: Oh yeah, I remember a lot about that. Uh, you know, being right kind of in the middle of it uh, with Sutton, being him, and him, right? As pictures of me mm-hmm. and him standing side by side, you know, holding people and grabbing people on the field. But you know, it was one of those things where we were we were hitting Bozio pretty hard. We'd hit a couple of homers at him, and he you know he was known for throwing at guys, and it was pretty clear that. Uh, he hit one of our guys, a couple of them, on purpose, you know. And, and Moose wasn't that kind of guy to go out and make a statement. I, I used to actually enjoy hitting people, and so did Sutcliffe. But, but Moose wasn't really that kind of guy, and uh, you know, so you know, he had to be kind of spurred on. I don't remember how it all took place, but basically, somebody told him, "All right, it, you know, we got a big lead; it's time to make a statement here." That had so, to be you know. that had to
2: be Sutcliffe, wasn't it? Be honest.
8: I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure that it probably was. He was probably sitting on the bench. Look, it's the sixth or seventh inning. We're winning big. He's hit two of our guys. Look look here, young fella. It's time to uh, protect some of our guys. You know, and so Hasselman gets hit, and that's, you know, he takes off and goes toward Moose. And, yeah, you're right. It was in several brawls, but that one really, really sticks out more than it because it took forever to get it under control, and it broke out several different times, as you guys know. Thanks to to Norm Charlton. Th- yeah, yeah thanks Charles to Norm Charlton, Charlton. Allen Mills, and Arthur Rhodes, and guys like that, and they had big the big Nelson guy, the big six seven a reliever down there, and he broke out several different times, you know, and so it was it was a lot of stuff going on that day, and uh, it, it's unfortunate that stuff like that happens, but it's baseball, you know, it it, it happens from time to time.
2: I remember the one thing I remember was the catcher for the Orioles that day. Was not Tettleton. It was um, it was Jeff it was Tackett. Jeff, it was Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Tackett. Tackett. Yeah, and Tackett. Tackett to me was so slow at protecting moose on that thing. He let Hasselman, who was Hasselman, was a big guy too. He let him. Yeah. Get, he let him get out to Musina. Well, yeah.
8: He got out there pretty quick. I and mean, when you get hit by a ninety mile an hour <clears> fastball, it'll make you get out there pretty quick too. Sometimes. <laughs> and so Tack, Tack wasn't the fastest guy. So he let Hasselman. I was kind of surprised Moose didn't kind of move off the mound and, and backpedal a little bit, because right. Moose wasn't a big guy, and Hasselman was. But anyway, nobody got seriously hurt in there. there. Was a few banged and bruises in there. Moose wasn't hurt, thank gosh, and uh, I don't think Hasselman was either. And so, uh, some feelings got hurt out there for sure. That, that was an ugly, ugly pile for a while.
3: Well, and the other thing about that brawl was the fact that Cal Ripken got down on the pile, underneath the pile. And really twisted his His knee, knee, and had had you guys not had the off day on Monday before playing again on Tuesday, uh, what we know is a great moment in baseball history may never have occurred.
8: Oh, no doubt. I mean, I remember him spending the night in the training room. You know, maybe both nights on Sunday and Monday. uh, You know, with the trainers trying to get that thing right, And, and Junior had pretty much. You know, said that he didn't know if he was going to be able to make the lineup on, on that Tuesday. And, uh, you know, just, uh, some really good fortune. The trainers did a wonderful job. Junior healed. Uh, I still don't think the man's human. You know, he healed. He would heal so fast from bruises and, and bumps and things like that and such a tough guy. I mean, really the Iron Ironman that doesn't do it justice, but, uh, you know, he was able to go back out there on Tuesday, you know, and, and, and take his spot out of shortstop like he always did. And so it was, uh, it was a crazy thing. I'm glad we got past that at the time, and uh, you know, it uh, it was just one of those things. And yeah, I thought Junior had ended the streak at one point, and actually, it actually was several times in there. I thought it was over, but he answered the bell, man, like he always did.
3: Well, back in the day, uh, I you know I talked to Richie Bansells for uh, a piece I did for Cal Ripkin's, uh, you know, twenty one thirty 2130 and twenty one thirty one, and he told me that specifically had it not been for the off days as we may not be talking about a streak at all.
8: Yeah, I know. I totally agree. And that was the, that was the kind of consensus around the clubhouse, you know? And, uh, I remember going in and working out on the off day on that Monday and junior was in there getting treatment. And, uh, you could just tell by the look on his face and the trainers that, uh, it may not happen. You know, he may mm-hmm. not be able to answer the bell, but, uh, boy, he he was a fast. And look, Junior played through a lot of pain like a lot of guys do a lot of different times. You know, he played hurt and, uh, which guys don't do that much anymore, you know, and, uh, you know, you're never really 100% Except for maybe opening day in the first month of the season. After that, you're not running on 100% anymore. And certainly Junior answered the bell a lot of times throughout his career, not being even close to 100%. But he th- found a way to perform at a very high level.
3: I think the genes are really what does it there because Senior was one tough son of
8: a gun. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He was the toughest. <laughs> I saw him get hit in the face with a line drive and back practice, and it knocked him out cold back in the early nineties. And when they finally got him to come to, they tried to get him off the field and he pretty much cursed out everybody and told him to get back in the dugout. <laughs> he was going to finish throwing bat in practice. But that was, that was Cal Ripken senior. And that was the way that family, you know, came from And junior uh, and Billy were cut out of that same mold. They were just tough guys that grinded it out that had a lot of talent, but they worked so hard to achieve the things that they did.
2: We're talking with Ben McDonald and Ben, we've just got a couple more minutes. We know you got a busy schedule. Um, I wanted to tell you first of all, I heard you the other night do an interview with Terry Ford on another radio station in town, and i was I was blown away by the stuff you revealed uh how tough your uh, being forced out of the game was for you uh and I found it fascinating, and I really have a great deal of respect for you after listening to that.
8: Well, I appreciate that it was uh you know that's that's what's not talked about uh enough. Uh, with ex-professional athletes, is you know when it's all over and the way it ends, uh, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, you got to get uh, reacclimated to your family again because you're gone for so long. That can be a struggle at times, and you know. And we were talking uh, with some of the players. It's amazing how many players from this twenty, you know, twenty-five years later from this team, people are divorced now. And I know that divorce rate is high now. I get all that kind of stuff, but it's it's tough for athletes. And and I went through a a dark time uh when I was out of the game it was it was a dark time and and i was tough on my family and my wife and my kids and uh, i took it out on them to be honest with you and that was just me not knowing how to cope with it all and so but i think it happens that way for a lot of guys in all of professional sports it's an adjustment in a lot of different ways when you're finally out of the game you hope that it, it ends on your terms but the truth of the matter is for most guys it doesn't end like cows it, and Derek Jeter's and Mike Messina's and a lot of guys that you end up healthy. It's just time to walk away from the truth. Of the matter is one day it's all over and, uh, you know, it's one thing when you're not good enough and you're healthy and you got to walk away from it. That's tough. But when you're injured and you feel like you just kind of figured it out a little bit and you still got a lot left and, and you know you can compete and you can't do it because of physical restrictions, it's, uh, it makes it even tougher, you know, but I uh, look, it's part of the game and I learned a lot from it and, uh, I like to, give advice on it every now and then, you know, because it, it was a very tough time for me and my family.
2: Before we let you go, um, your thoughts when you first walked in and saw Camden Yards and to to that, how about the way it looks today? It's almost identical.
8: Yeah, you know what? I mean, I was a 21-year-old kid at uh, Memorial Park, and I thought that was the best place in the world. And it was like, holy cow, this place, this is the big leagues, man. The Memorial Park is, is awesome, you know, and – When we went to Camden Yards opening day and I walked out there and there were 48,000 people and the warehouse and the new ballpark and what they did, I mean, it's almost unimaginable how excited we were. There was a bunch of pride in to say, this is really our ballpark. We get to play here every day. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. And it has stood the test of time. All the new ballparks have come up and tried to emulate Camden Yards. To me, it is still the best. And I still call it a new ballpark. It's 25 years old, but still... Uh, when you compare it to the other ones that are out there. And there are some beautiful other ones that are out there. But to me, this was the first one, and this still, to me, is the best one. It hasn't changed hardly any. There's a few more seats here and there, and a few seats taken out here and there. But for the most part, uh, it's all the same as it was 25 years ago. And they've done a wonderful job keeping it up. It still looks brand new today. And so it's a really cool place. And the players that are playing there today, I hope they appreciate it because it is a neat place.
2: Hey, we remember that Rick Sutcliffe pitched game number one, the shutout, did you pitch game number two or three?
8: I pitched game number, we lost game two, but I pitched a shutout in in, in game three against the Indians. So the first, I guess, first three games played there, there were two shutouts uh, by the Orioles, and we won two of the three. So it was a pretty pretty cool time for me.
3: Yeah, so Sorrento hit that home run in yep. game two.
8: Yep. Yeah. That's yep. right. That's yeah. exactly right.
3: Off of Moose, off of
2: your friend of Mike Mussina. Yeah. Yeah. That's
8: okay. right. That's uh, right, you know, and he he hit the home run and beat Messina, and then we threw a shutout again in uh, in game three.
2: Our last question for you: Who's going to win the home run hitting contest? Who's your money on tonight? Hoyles or Horn, Devereaux, or Brady?
8: Well, that that's an easy one. So Brady's going to win, and this is why. You see, Brady's <laughs> one of those guys that's been kind of cheating a little bit. You see, I see, I, I saw him taking batting practice yesterday. Nobody knows that, but he's been out on the field hitting a little bit, you know. And so, you know, you can look at Sam Horn and and, and you can tell just by looking at him, he's not had any physical activities probably in 20 years. (laughs) You can count him out. Chris Hoyles, you know, can still bang it a little bit, you know. So he'll be in the run. Orselak, you know, I don't think he hits that much anymore. Uh, But, see, Brady's just one of those guys, look, he's he's probably taking BP right now. He's probably got three guys throwing to him right now. He's going to figure out a way to win it, I promise you.
3: I guarantee you. You know Hoyley's got that uh, that goatee going, but boy, is it all gray.
8: Yeah, yeah. You know it's uh. Boy, I hadn't seen some of the guys in a while, and uh, I came back to the hotel last night and told my wife. I said, "Do I look as old as some of those guys?" <laughs> <I> mean, it's, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny. You know, you forget where you are. Most of us are in our. I hadn't quite made the 50 mark yet. I was one of the younger ones on that team. But uh, a lot of the other guys, you know, Seth in his 60s and Junior's in his uh, late 50s, yeah. you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird time, you know. But it's been great catching up with some of the guys, it really has.
3: Just remember, 50 Ben is the new 60. <laughs>
8: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I feel like every day I roll out of bed for the first five steps anyway, So.
2: All right, Ben, we appreciate it. We didn't even have time to talk about last night's un- incredible finish. We'll do that some other time. Enjoy the uh, rest of the weekend, Ben.
8: Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys having me. Have a good
3: day. All right,
2: thank you. There you go, Ben McDonald, uh, tremendous uh, tremendous guy, and catching up with him is something special.
3: Yeah, and just uh, as good a down-to-earth country boy that you could want to have and get to know and really, to, you know – The ego isn't there, you know, and he's just very plain, very even-keeled, and he knows where he came from.
2: We got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, When we get back, Craig Heist uh, had a little chat with Paul Sorrento and Charles Nagy. From then, the Cleveland Indians, who were the first visiting team to play at Camden Yards 25 years back in 1992, we'll hear that when we get back. We are the batter round. Yes, Stan the are. fan and Craig Heist on the batter round, and we will be back right after
7: these words. Our Excel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call one 877 78839 call now
5: You've heard me tell you about Full Circle Tyron Auto in Abingdon for some time, but what about the GCR community? I got this message from Steve Barry. Steve in Belair. He said, Glenn, those guys were great. They saved me $100 over the dealership. They were more friendly, too. Turns out they didn't have the exact fluid for my truck, so they went to Honda and bought it and didn't charge me any extra. They gained me as a customer for life. I was very impressed. 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CAR. Stop in and see them, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, or find them on the web, fullcircletyronauto.com.
7: KZ here, PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. We We talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in, but... Our heart, our soul, of course, is football.
9: Baltimore sports.
7: Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes.
9: Uh, I guess. Sunday's
5: Sunday's 10 to noon Press box. Fantasy Reality Football Show A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square First up the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend served in a Hawaiian style bun with Colby Jack cheese green leaf lettuce and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue Sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich They also have the watermelon mint lemonade You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade It's got all natural watermelon and mint flavors and it's complimentary to the smokehouse barbecue sandwich get the chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard in the nottingham square shopping center tell steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before august 19th because these items are available for a limited time only Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray.
7: And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, game time with Tim and Nick.
1: Find game time under the podcast tab at PressboxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. Many people know
5: about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit GiveTheGoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's GiveTheGoodwill.org, 866-492-2770.
3: Welcome back to the Battle Round. Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan and our guest today is Paul Sorrento. And uh, as they celebrate 25 years of Camden Yards, we have you on the show because... Not only did you have the first hit in this ballpark, you had the first home run in this ballpark. Uh, take me back to 92 and what you're thinking about now that it's 25 years later.
10: I feel old, I know that, um, but I just remember coming here for the uh, first game. Um, I had just got traded to Cleveland, yeah. so I was excited to kind of get my career started and uh, Came into a beautiful ballpark. Uh, Still one of my favorite ballparks to come to. But um, just an exciting time. You know, brand-new ballpark, kind of the first of its kind. So it was real exciting to come in and uh, be part of a good team. We had a decent
3: team that year, and it was fun. How much do you remember about Sutcliffe and Nagy? Uh, The one thing I'll tell you i remember about it, and in this day and age, it's important, two hours, two
10: minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see too many of those nowadays. But uh, great pitching matchup. Got a lot of respect for Rick. He, uh, great pitcher during his career. Um, for some reason, the last pitch of the game sticks out in my mind. Uh, I thought it was a ball, but um, he was pitching for the shutout. The crowd was going wild. The opening day, but and that's no disrespect to Sut, but um, it was a good time. Good, good uh, memories. Uh, it's good to be back. And
3: the place is still as beautiful as ever. I was going to say, it's really stood the test of time, hasn't it? And then, you know what? In a lot of ways, I kind of equate it to the ballpark in Kansas City that once they got that artificial turf out of there and they redid a few things, it's really stood the test of time.
10: No doubt about it. It's still one of my uh, favorite ballparks to come to. And I think the players, too. It's still very beautiful. Uh, they did a great job with the design. And it's still, it still looks like one of the newer parks in the league. So uh, somebody knew what they were doing. And uh, that's a testament
3: to the Orioles. Well, now you swung the bat from the left side with a good bit of power. I would assume this was a good place to play with a bat in your hand, say, from about the beginning of June
10: through August. <laughs> sure, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a hitter-friendly park for sure. Um, obviously, when it gets hot here, the ball starts to travel a little bit. So, um, But good hitting park, yeah. just remember that from day one. It was uh, You always enjoyed here coming as a player. Um, so, hopefully, we can carry that over as a team.
3: I mentioned the two oh two as far as time of the game was concerned, but Billy Ripken with the squeeze bunt there to force in the second run there uh, kind of made it two nothing and gave the Orioles a little bit of breathing room.
10: Yeah, I mean it was a great game. Great uh, two really good pitches going at each other against really if you look back two really good lineups as well and. Um, you know, like you said, those two-hour games, uh, you don't see them very often. Um, it was tough to be on the losing end of it, but uh, it's fun to be part of history. So,
3: Well, like you said, you had a, a good team then, which only got better. 94, you kind of lost because of the strike. Everybody lost because of the strike. But the following year, you guys were in the World Series against the Braves.
10: Yeah, we had good teams in Cleveland. Uh, I was there uh, from 92 to 95. We... Um, We're fortunate to make a World Series and lost to the Braves, but uh, it was a fun group of guys. You know, we all kind of came up together. We're all kind of young, and then as we went into our new stadium, uh, management kind of went out and added a bunch of veterans that were really good. As you know, we added Eddie Murray, who was a big part of that team, and um, so that really helped, you know, but we had a really good young core, and, um, you know, management went out, and. Went for it, and we had
3: some good years. Another part of the Indians then that turned out to be a part of the Orioles later was Mike Hargrove. Uh, what was Grover like to play for? I mean, we covered him here. We know what he was like, but from a player's perspective, what was he like? He was, he, he was, he was fun. You know, he just let you
10: go out and play, um, let the kind of the players be themselves. Uh, we, had a lot of, <laughs> we had a lot of characters on that team, but um, he kind of let us be ourselves and just let us go play and uh, he was a lot of fun to play for.
3: Paul Sorrento, hitting coach of the L.A. Angels of Anaheim. And uh, thanks a lot for reminiscing and being a part here on the bat around. Thanks for having me. And we're going to move over here and talk to the guy who was on the mound for the Cleveland Indians that day, Charlie Nagy. And i got to ask you, what was it like to square off against Sutcliffe in a brand-new ballpark that still looks as good today as it did back then?
9: Yeah, it's a beautiful park, and uh, even back then, a first of its kind and uh, paved the way for, you know, like Jacob's Field, kind of similar design. So it, it was nice, and it was fun. It was a very festive day, a lot of people, a lot of excitement in the air. and. Uh all I remember is, you know, how they scored, and uh, I know we lost 2 to nothing. And
3: the squeeze bun probably squeeze sticks bun in your really mind, yeah? Yeah, yeah. S- squeeze bun probably sticks in your mind more than anything.
9: A little bit. I mean, I remember it to this day. You know, he, sque- he turned around and sc- tried to throw one up and anybody got the bat on, and he got it down, so he did his job.
3: Charlie, you were a part of a very, very good team, or what was the beginning of a very, very good team that went on to some great things the next few years. I know you had the strike in 94, but then 95, obviously, you're in the World Series.
9: Yeah, we also played these guys had a really good team too and i know we matched up with them quite a bit uh in the playoffs that year in 97 we won game six here uh to go to the world series um so the tony fernandez (laughs) yeah a lot of good memories uh but yeah just very fortunate enough to play on a lot of good teams like you said we turned the corner there when we moved to jacob's field in 94 we added a few pieces to the puzzle denny martinez you know oral came over eddie murray um, and our just young guys just grew up. And uh, we could hit. Our guys could hit. And uh, there was a steady flow of players that came in after guys left that could just hit. And we were uh, just very fortunate enough to be on a lot of good teams. So
3: you had another guy who's a coach with you, Paul Sorrento, got the first hit in this ball.
9: Yeah, Paul, it was late, late uh, spring training trade over here. I met him at the hotel. Uh, when he got in, we went out to lunch. And then, uh, you know, we came over here first game. Uh, first time I really got to see him play was uh, with us in 92.
3: Charles Nagy, thanks for letting us relive a little bit of the past here on the 25th anniversary of Camden Yards on the bat Around. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, no doubt about it. Charles Nagy, uh, pretty happy to be back, as was Paul Sorrento. Sorrento uh, that's
2: great work on getting the two of them. It's yeah. ironic how it turned out that they were in town for this.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, I kind of set it up because they were in town in D.C., uh, for two games earlier this week, before the off day on Thursday, and I had gotten with the the angels and said, "Is there any way I can talk to these two uh, you know when when we get to Baltimore because I knew i 'd be up here for the for the series this weekend, and uh, angels very accommodating." The um, Orioles,
2: the Orioles should have thought to inv- invite Paul Sorrento to be part of the home run well, yeah, derby, you know, this, yeah, and see what he could do. Yeah. yeah, well, he hit the first one.
3: Maybe have Nagy pitch to everybody. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Great
2: work uh, getting the two of them interesting. Listen, we're we're you know we're uh, doing this on the fly, but we had a taped interview that I did with Tony Pente of Pente of Orioles Hangout, and we're going to run that next week because we just felt the flow of the show. We're so deep in Camden Yards lore Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, and with the way the team's playing and the importance of the games and how we want to end on a kind of an uplifting yet sad note about Paul Casanova. But I thought you and I would just keep it here and talk a little bit about Camden Yards and get a younger uh, fan's perspective on Camden Yards as well.
1: Sure.
3: Well, you know, I've covered every game pretty much. You know, I could maybe count on two hands the amount of games I've missed at the yard since it opened. Uh, and and I have some special memories, certainly the opener in, in 92, but I also remember, and one of my great Cal Ripken senior stories comes from Camden Yards, uh, a night where uh, the Orioles are still in it, but just on the fringe, about five and a half back of the Blue Jays, and they're they're trying to make a run. They've got the Blue Jays in town that week, and uh, there's a 2-1 to game going on at Camden Yards. The Orioles are hitting in the bottom of the eighth inning, and there's a fly ball hit out in the center field. Tim Hulett's at third base, mm-hmm. and Devon White catches the ball, but it's in, in medium center field, and Hulett tags up, and he starts two or three steps down the line, and Senior holds him up but Devon White's throw, who, in my mind, along with Mike Devereaux, made probably the two greatest catches uh, in Camden Yards history. And I know we've had Mike Trout and also Niger Morgan mm-hmm. climbing over the wall in center field, but these two were were lunging, diving catches to save home runs from going out of the ballpark by mo- both Devereaux and, and also uh, Devon White. But anyway, Devon White catches the ball, he throws home. Senior kind of stops Hewlett halfway down the line or three or four steps down the line. But the ball goes, the throw goes all the way up the first baseline. Right. I mean, it's nowhere close. Right. And Hewlett, had he come come home, he would have scored. The Orioles go on to lose that game by a run. There's a group of us, myself, Dave Ginsburg. I even think Peter Schmuck was part of it, maybe Rosenthal, we all go walking over toward Cal's locker, Cal Sr.'s locker, and Cal Sr.'s locker at that time was in the back of the uh, clubhouse, right near that back door. Right, they didn't
2: separate. The, no, the, no. The coaches right, were back there. Right, yeah.
3: Right where that door was that you exited the back of the clubhouse, and that's the locker that Cal Jr. eventually took over. Well, we're walking over to Sr. to find out what was the thought process on you know, holding, you know, it up at third base. And as we're walking, we get maybe about 10 feet away from Rip, uh, Rip Sr. And he shuts his locker door up top and he turns, he looks, he sees all of us walking toward him. And he just looked at us and says, because he effing would have been out, that's why. <laughs> and then he turned around and walked out the door. <laughs> and, and I told I told Billy that story one day and Billy
11: went, yeah, that's
2: Dan. Yeah, that's that's Dan. <laughs> Kyle, uh, you're a little bit younger than Craig Heist and I. Everybody's younger than me. Uh, your thoughts on the ballpark because you weren't there at the at the very beginning.
1: Yeah, no, I've had a um, interesting alignment as far as timing is concerned. Like in my life, obviously, I went to the yard when I was younger, but it was at a time when the Orioles weren't, or I wasn't able to appreciate '96 and '97 fully because I was, you know, I'm just a young, young kid. But I knew the ballpark was as good as it is right like it's it's beautiful every every angle you look at the city backdrop all of it and you see it compared to other stadiums on television and you know that it's special but it was always juxtaposed with being empty like it was sad a little bit in that this this icon of a stadium was you know putting like 10 to 15,000 nightly yep. and it was just empty seats mostly and so for a while there it was only like individual games that were cool. Like I saw Chris Davis's three home run game in two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment that was, you know, it's it's fun to feel the electricity in the ballpark before two thousand twelve, before they were competitive. And then seeing that, seeing the wild card game and being at the Detroit series, like those are the memories for me. Delman Young's double is I a mean, lot of people, younger people, say that was the seminal moment yeah. at that well, point. And, and that
3: was the divisional Team moment. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I know. That was the divisional yeah. series against the Tigers, which they eventually win that game and then go on to sweep in sure. Detroit, which if you watch that video that they play now before every game, uh, they show Earl on one side, they show Buck on the other side uh, toward the end of the video, and both are throwing the umpires out of the <laughs> right, game, right, right. In, in, each, in each side. And then, and then they cut to a, a picture of Buck. Who's just kind of leaning on the dugout, like with a smile and kind of laughing and enjoying what he's seeing from his players after, as they're celebrating that divisional series win? That was in Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, that picture. So uh, yeah. that, that's one of the things, you know, you know these are all kind of special moments. And I get what you're saying. There haven't been that many well, in, compared t- to because, Memorial Stadium. Right, because right. of the competitiveness of the team. And yeah. there, were, there were 14 losing seasons in a row there. But 96, 97, very special. 97, they go wire to wire. And the greatest part about that was they had uh, Lenny Webster, Alan Mills. Last
2: story, it'll wear number 42, 42, Lenny Webster. Right,
3: Lenny Webster, Alan Mills, Jeffrey Hammonds. They all ran the clubhouse music. And the victory song, after every win, was Puff Daddy's (laughs) remixed version of Ain't Nobody Gonna Hold You Down. And about halfway through there's an instrumental section where and, and I can say this where you know Puff Daddy's just singing shake that ass shake that <laughs> <laughs> okay right you can say that all right yeah and but Palmero's locker had a speaker right over it right so Rafi's having a big year so we're over over his there a lot, a lot. And this is back in the day where you're sending sound through the through the telephone, okay, right, right. with a voice act. Right. And in the middle of these sound bites, that's all you hear. Shake, Shake that. that end. End. Shake <laughs> that.
1: Another great moment, I will say, was, and this is when the Orioles clinched the division in 14, and Jones did the lap with the flag, and right. pied yeah. the fan, and was guzzling beer around. Like, it was, and that was kind of my generation's, and I remember Twenty one thirty one. like it's hard it's not like a full memory but i remember images of it obviously it's impossible and obviously i remember when cal this is a different but did a lap in the car mm-hmm. like those moments are regardless of whether they're competitive or not special but seeing i don't know seeing camden yards energized to me is and that's kind of a vague concept but seeing them competitive Filling the stadium, like with the first time it, I saw it sold out, like, and it was something that th- th- this is how it's supposed to look, you know? Yeah. And that alone is something that for people my age, they might not have had a chance to experience before that. Yeah. Well,
3: the story on Ken Rosenthal in Press Box, I guess it was two issues ago, yeah. uh, said, you know, Kenny said, a lot of people ask him, you know what's the greatest baseball of any set hands down 2130 and 2131 right. they're the two best nights i've ever spent in the ballpark and i've done 17 super bowls i've done countless all star games uh, you,
2: so you agree with Kenny Oh there's no yeah. question
3: NBA NBA uh, all star game things of that nature i've never done the NBA final because the wizards well you know <laughs> right right but in in all seriousness Uh, Those are the two most fabulous days I've ever spent in in an arena.
2: Yeah. I I remember opening day. I won't say it was like it was yesterday, but I remember the Saturday exhibition game against the Mets. Yeah. Now, I had been looking forward to that ballpark for a long time, and I knew where my seats were. I was pretty tight with the Orioles at the time, and I was looked out for because my seats in Memorial Stadium were about 22, 23 rows the last row before the vendor rail behind home plate, mm-hmm. about 20 rows. I ended up six rows or eight rows behind home plate in the new ballpark. But when I came to the exhibition game on Saturday, you know how every time you walk off off Camden Yards to go into the ramp to go down to the, uh, to the clubhouses, mm-hmm. you have to bend down over that metal thing. That metal thing on Saturday, the exhibition game, was – Eight feet higher, it was right in my in eye. In sight line. In my sight line, and I, I pitched a fit to people. I said, I've been waiting for these seats. I, You know, I bought all these seats. Right. I put all this money in for 10 years, and now you're going to have this thing blocking me out? And I went, like, ballistic. I said, this is really terrible, you know. And I'll tell you what, about two hours later, they had that thing shaved off. Mm-hmm. And they reconfigured the screen, and it 's always been I remember it every time I bend down and go underneath that that rail
3: right and uh, i mean i have I have some really good memories and and r- granted they don 't correlate with a championship or yeah. anything like that, but the run in ninety seven was very special uh, ninety six was even maybe a little more special because that team was fifty and fifty one on like August the second, right, and then you know a lot of
2: comparisons to sort of this year, the kind you
3: know. of, you know, what they're trying to do. But they go uh, and, and and take on this tremendous run. They get Eddie Murray in town, uh, David Wells, Bobby Bonilla. You know the the two the two, Alomar, Al- Serhoff. Well, yeah, but the two players that they wanted to trade, right? And, oh, Bonilla and Wells, right, yeah, right, and, and David Wells too, and then. Uh, they they wind up getting the wild card and uh, they wind up beating the Indians that year. Unfortunately, the following year, the year they went wire to wire, they lost to the Indians. So, uh, Craig,
1: I will push back on the uh, best defensive play ever in Camden Yards, and I will at least raise Manny Machado's fake to first, tag the runner at third against the Rays has to be in the conversation.
3: Yeah, it's in the conversation. There's no question about it.
1: But uh,
3: well, I'm I, talking about scaling the wall. Sure, sure. Na-
1: nightly,
2: Brady Anderson used to make almost seem nightly. He the way he he was a great athlete. The way he would literally climb the wall with his cleats mm-hmm. to gain a little extra traction to jump even higher. He made several
3: incredible catches. Yeah. There. And, uh, uh, Kyle brought up the uh, Chris Davis three home run night. Yep. I was there the night where Josh, Josh Hamilton,
2: Hamilton four. hit four. Yeah, sure. yeah, I was there, you too. Know, and
3: that was just incredible. 30-3 uh, is,
1: is, is well, well, while it's there, not yeah. a good night. It was and a memorable one. It
3: was a memorable night, and it was also Dave Trembley's first night right after he signed the long-term extension. <laughs> that's right.
2: That's right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Rich Dubrov has some fond memories. Rich Dubroff has some fond memories of uh how Tremblay used to refer to like certain base running mistakes. <laughs> you can't have guys playing kamikaze
3: baseball.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Run until you're out.
3: And, and there was nobody any more old school baseball than Dave Tremblay. Yeah, I and, like you know, Dave. Well and what was great about that story with him uh when he got to be the bench coach in Houston when Bo Porter got right. the managerial job, you know, Bo had told Dave a long time ago, he says, if I ever get a managerial job,
2: you're my man. Says,
3: you're my man. And he kept that word for years and yep. years and years. And Dave. Dave Bo Dave,
2: Porter was with the Nats, right? Dave, and yeah, as yeah a, he was the third base coach. As, yeah. For who? Who was the manager? Davey uh, or?
3: Yeah, well, for, yeah, Davey at the time, yeah. And uh, uh, that always kind of stuck with. With, with Dave in terms of what that meant for him, in, in terms of the loyalty and things of that nature, uh, to be able to get rewarded with a, with a bench coach, John. Uh,
2: we're going to be turning toward the end of the program to the Washington Nationals, and I don't want to dismiss the Orioles and Oriole Park for a second, but last night I I did a little tribute. I've never met Mark Lerner uh, who's the? Is he the president of he's the? He's the principal owner. Principal owner. I mean, his dad really he is, is the, the owner. Is yeah. the owner, but, but but Mark has been and he's a passionate baseball fan. Right, and, and some news came out. Uh, he had not been seen at the park for a long time, and there were rumors and all that. He chose to write a note to Barry Sferluga,
3: Barrys for Barrys for Verluga, For the, the Washington
2: Post, right. uh, which detailed his battle with uh, a specific type of cancer. Uh, He went in for treatment, and uh, the treatments didn't totally eradicate the cancer, and it necessitated, they felt, an amputation of one of his legs. Mm -hmm. And I was just really taken with the positive attitude that Mark Lerner has and the the not, oh, woe, he's me – it was all very positive and how he's he's gonna live the the fullest life possible from this point on. Do you know Mark at Absolutely. all? Absolutely, yeah.
3: And and there's nobody that would do that any better than Mark Lerner in terms of that kind of attitude. And you know the the one thing that's probably killing him most is not being able to be at the ballpark. Right. Because this is a guy when the Nats – Uh, first came to town, and you would see him at RFK, and he would be out in center field shagging fly balls. And he took a little bit of heat for that uh, around the country in terms of other people in baseball. Here's the owner out in shagging fly fly balls. balls But, I mean, it's a passion for him. I mean, baseball's always been a passion for him. So he's at the center of owning what has become a very 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 successful successful franchise. franchise. And – his wife, Judy, is just one of the greatest people you'd ever meet, and uh, I guarantee you he doesn't make it through this without her Yeah, uh, because she is just one of the strongest people I know.
2: So you know that team pretty well. Yeah. Is there a chance, because I had no idea this was going on. Well, this, nobody did.
3: That's the whole thing.
2: Is is there a chance that this is the rallying cry? And, and you know, we, we tend to think of that, uh, that's an old Hackney expression and it's corny. Everybody wants to win, but do they want to win for Mark Lerner? Oh,
3: I think they definitely want to win for Mark Lerner. There's no question about that. But the other part of it is there's the baseball end of it and the realistic end of it that that will tell you it's still going to boil down to Scherzer, Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez, Roark, and then having that three-headed monster in the bullpen, if you can make it a six- or seven-inning game, turn it over to them. Uh, runs that are going to be at a premium in the playoffs, that kind of thing. All the things that we know about playoff baseball and what it's become, especially over the last decade, and it's become pretty much a bullpen game.
2: Uh, what What's the latest you heard last night about the second, third inning of the Oreo game? We get word that Max Scherzer was going to be scratched from that start. Right. In San Diego last night for, is this a recurrence in, of the neck problem he had like about a month ago?
3: Uh, to a degree, yes. And that was not a month ago. It was a couple of starts ago down but in Miami. On, but it's on a different side of his neck. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's, it's on the other side from what bothered him in Miami. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. They put him on the DL yesterday, but they retroactived it to the 15th. And from there, so it's only going to be a seven-day deal. So the hope is to get treatment, and then to see how long it takes. Uh, probably, I would think two weeks before he gets back out on the mound.
2: All right. Um,
3: <clears throat> you're, all a right. Po- you're a popular guy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> fantasy baseball partner. Um, the the
3: latest on Bryce Harper. I know. He t- tell him he's off the fantasy scene yeah. for about three weeks. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, the, the latest on Bryce Harper. The latest on Harper is basically he'll take the treatment that he's supposed to get, uh, and and I, I think most people thought from the time this happened, and then we find out the the following day that it's a, a deep bone bruise or a significant bone bruise is what the Nationals called it. Uh, but you're also looking at a hyperextension of the knee. Uh, the general consensus is three to four weeks, and anybody that knows Bryce Harper has been around him, knows what his work ethic's like. Uh, he'll try to make it uh, sooner than that. But the, the, the bottom line for it is it doesn't have to be that because of the lead they have in the National League East. They're going to the playoffs. They're going to run away with that division. So Harper can kind of take his time. Uh, I, I don't think the timing of the swing or anything like that will be – Affected all that much. I don't think he's going to need that much of a rehab once he's deemed healthy enough to play again. But it's going to take three to four weeks from the time that it happened.
2: Yeah, all right. And miraculously, <clears throat> wasn't hurt worse than that. no.
3: Because I mean, I think everybody that saw that play that night, uh, and it was the Saturday night game uh, that started three hours late because of a rain delay. Uh, anybody that saw that play probably figured he was done for the year.
2: All right. uh, getting back to you, Kyle. Uh, when you think of the the most exciting games in Camden Yards history, and I'll throw Craig in here too. I'm just asking you because you're more a nouveau mm-hmm. fan of the last ten years or so. That's got to be one of the most exciting finishes uh, the Orioles have had in this ballpark.
1: Uh, yeah, it really was. I and I think that it's it almost overshadows the fact that this was his third home run. Right, like even a walk off grand slam in any context is going to be spectacular. But to mm-hmm. think that. In that moment, you have a guy who, look, he's hitting the cover off the baseball. There's no nothing to hide about that. But he's, like, you got to think there's pressure on him to at least, especially for how it seemed he was pressing so much early in the season to hit the ball over the fence, to go up there and put a good swing on that ball. And, I mean, he knew right away. The picture of him from the, I think it's the home, the away dugout actually, where Machado's holding the bat out, looking at the shot, admiring it, and the, the dugout's going crazy. Like, that was an energizing game for anybody who was watching and it seemed like a good amount of people were watching it
3: and i agree i agree with what rich dubroff said earlier i were i remember vividly uh the come from behind win over the mariners where chris hoyles hits the grand slam uh just over the left field right over the 364 mark mm-hmm. and wins that game for the or i think it was 15-14 uh, i want to say uh but nonetheless it was just a just a great
11: game and
1: it was it was. it's easy to forget how, how bad it started, right? Like, you have a five runs in the first inning, and then you feel yeah. like you're kind of you're chipping away, chipping away, and it gets to 5-4. You're like, well, maybe there's a chance here. Well,
3: and you know what? It's funny because Stan and I were upstairs at the time. We were
1: eating our free hot dogs. Basically <laughs> getting
3: a free hot dog, and – It's 5 4 Orioles at the time. And
2: then Heaney strikes out five guys in a row over two innings.
3: Over two innings. And then
2: they get a two run uh, home run. They
3: wind up getting up the two run home run and make it 7 4. And he says to me, he says, I really thought we were going to do it. I said, We still may. Still may. may. Yeah. 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 So
2: we were in the bathroom at that time. Well, no. (laughs) Um,. I just was shocked that Hellickson was still in the pit I, I, I know he had settled down for two innings. He had two great innings. Well, he retired eight in a row. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. But it was sort of – I would have much rather liked my chances with Castro throwing against
3: uh, against Trout than, yeah.
2: than Well, Hellickson. you know what,
3: and that's another thing. The unsung hero for this bullpen is, Miguel, is Castro. Miguel Castro, without question. I mean, where would this team be for as bad as the starters were for the, the, the first three, three-and-a-half months of this season – Where would this team be without the uh, contributions of Castro to this point just to even kind of bridge the gap so you could try to get to what even then was a hurt, banged-up bullpen?
1: And he's shown that he could potentially be more than that. Oh, absolutely.
3: I think If they do not look at him as a starter next year, I'll be shocked.
2: Yeah, you know, it's fascinating because three weeks ago, I'm sitting there with the media scrum, and I asked Buck Showalter the question about – I said – Buck, do you think there's a chance that Brad, uh, that Miguel Castro could kind of next year be sort of what Brad Brock's become? And he and he goes, I'm not so sure he couldn't be you know in the starting rotation. And then a couple other people ask questions, and I go, Buck, can I ask you another question about Miguel Castro? And Buck, as he always does, he goes, No. <laughs> he goes, What would you do if I said no? And, and I said, You said something rather remarkable. Uh, before and he goes, What did I say that's remarkable? I said that you're thinking about Miguel Castro as a starting pitcher. And this was
1: before his sixth inning relief hour, Correct. Correct. Yeah.
2: Correct. But they clearly have, he's got the most, Gosman's probably the most electric arm they have. Yeah. Right. But Castro is right there with. Well, Bundy's
1: him. right. I mean, yeah, but you're probably he has, a, he has a really live arm. Yeah, he, Castro. He's got a live arm. He's got to work on the control yeah. a little bit. I think 10 walks to 17 strikeouts, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. But I think that. Look, there's not a lot of arms in the Orioles system that have proven that they're capable of pitching at the major league level, and also as a starter potentially. So that's count your blessings, right? They seem to have stumbled onto at least one. Yeah,
2: well, you know, they, they Dan Duquette gets a lot of crap from people. You know, I pick you know, with the Giovanni Gallardo, the Jimenez, but by the same token, he picked up Brock, he picked up Blyer, he picked up Castro, he picked
3: up uh, Beckham. Right. I mean, he does some good things. He does some know. good things. And you know what? Anybody that was P.O.ed or mad about Giovanni Gallardo, we paid him back last
1: week.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a timeout. When we get back, we're going to close with a a bittersweet uh, 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 soundbite that Craig Heist has. It's more like a uh, three-minute part of the presser that Dusty Baker, remembering his friend Paul Casanova, who passed away. We'll be back with uh, that to finish up the battle round.
5: You've heard me tell you about Full Circle Tyron Auto in Abingdon for some time, but what about the GCR community? I got this message from Steve Barry, Stephen Belair. He said, Glenn, those guys were great. They saved me $100 over the dealership. They were more friendly, too. Turns out they didn't have the exact fluid for my truck, so they went to Honda and bought it and didn't charge me any extra. They gained me as a customer for life. I was very impressed. 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CAR. Stop in and see them, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, or find them on the web, fullcircletyronauto.com
9: Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yard. Yeah, we've, we've been in Section, been in section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334.
1: No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336.
9: Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium... We tend to sit in 334.
0: Let the ticket screwed up. We are just we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336.
9: Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336.
1: Yes, yeah, so in Section 336. Section
9: 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press that. Box.
1: Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section336.com. <laughs> Hey,
5: it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, no, podcast. No, no,
0: no, no, don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That mm. means it is the best wrestling yeah, that's podcast. That's Look, just,
7: just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to jobbing out.
5: Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark Aaron and Oster and A.J. Francis of the Washington Redskins. He turf Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com.
1: Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family package online today by visiting IronBirdsBaseball.com. Your summer starts now.
6: The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we take a significant look into the Ravens' upcoming first-ever trip to London. What does it take for an NFL team to make such a trip? How are Ravens fans getting themselves across the pond for the game? What are fans doing in Baltimore if they can't make the trip? And which Ravens player will the trip mean the most to? PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles Ravens. Givens at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the bat
3: Around, Craig Heist along with Stan, the fan. And uh, there's no question in the last few weeks, we've lost some pretty prominent people in the world of baseball. No doubt. Uh, no question. Lee May, uh, and, and we find out uh, Dutch Dalton also uh, was, was, has passed. And uh, there's been a several this past week. and and over the last two weeks. And one of them uh, we came to find out for for fans of baseball, especially in Washington, D.C., was the passing this past week of Paul Casanova, the former catcher of the Washington Senators. And uh, we were talking with Dusty Baker uh, before one of the games this past week uh, about Paul Casanova and what Dusty remembered about Paul. And those two together... Uh, played in the Dominican and also uh, we we found out that Paul, of course, played for not just the Senators, but was with Hank Aaron, uh, with the Braves at times, and, you know, Dusty was talking about the fact that when we lost Don Baylor, he said, you know, it was interesting because I was supposed to, when we came up, we came up at the same time. I was supposed to be the next Hank Aaron, (laughs) and Baylor was supposed to be the next Frank Robinson here in Baltimore, (laughs) you know. So they had that connection, but uh, Dusty had, uh, in in remembering his friend Paul Casanova, had some very interesting things to say about life on the baseball field and also off the baseball field.
11: Yeah, well, Cassie's, you see Cassie on my wall in of my office if you haven't been in there. And, uh, you know, I met him when I was with the Braves. I was a very young player. And uh, there's him and... Hank Aaron and Ralph Gar and myself and Cassie and us were sort of in charge of keeping Hank loose during the time when he was going for the record. And uh, uh, we all loved Cassie. And then um, I went to Venezuela and played on Cassie's team. Uh, La Guayra. and he had a nightclub down there that my wife and I used to hang at called La Pelota. All the players... Uh, Loved him. Uh, you know, he was in LA. He moved to LA with me. He was kind of like my uncle. And uh, i see him every time I went to Miami. I'd send him used balls because everybody would go over to his house. He had a batting cage. And uh, that's where I first met JD Martinez. Uh, and he had asked me about signing JD. He said, hey, man, he's a heck talent. And a whole bunch of players would go by there, you know, Benito Santiago, and he's making his comeback, you know, Jose Tarnabu would hang over there, Jackie Hernandez, um, you know, you know, all the Latin dudes, I even saw Johnny DiPuglia, our, our guy over there a couple times, and so um, I got the call that morning after he died, and I I called my wife and then, then told her about Cassie passing, and uh, like I said, I'd see him every time I went to Miami last time, I couldn't see him because he was in a in a, in a coma. So, um, you know, like I met a lot of people through Cassie. And actually I met Joe Namath through Cassie. That's how I met Joe. When I was a kid, I was hanging with Cassie at the Brothers 2 or whatever it was, Joe's uh, bar. And I uh, met him with some of the older guys because they were all, everybody's older than me back then. And so, um, yeah, Kazzy meant a lot to him. He stayed, we stayed in the same apartment complex in Atlanta, and, uh, and he loved the senators. He always used to talk about the senators. And, uh, you know, a funny story about Kazi every time, you know, we go, I was single then, we go to a bar or a nightclub or something, and uh, some girls would come around, and, you know, with us he had one accent. And then around the girls, he had, like, another accent. And we always accused him of cheating. So his name around us was Paul Casanova. And then the girls, his name was Paul Casanova. I said, Cassie, man, that ain't fair. And they said, where are you from? I'm from Cuba. And they used to tell us stories about, I think he was the last player, um, you know, to come out of the, you know, the Negro League, uh, you know, to the Major Leagues. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, last week was a tough week, you know. Week before, well, we lost Lee May, and then the week before, then Dan Baylor, and then, you know, um, Cassie. So I'm glad you asked that question.
3: And no doubt about it, uh, I can imagine those two out and about on the town, and exactly what Dusty said.
2: I was a huge Washington Senators fan. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd moved from from Washington to Baltimore when my dad died in 1958, and then the Senators left, and then we got the Senators. You know, the expansion team, and that's Mm -hmm. who I rooted for until they left. For Texas right, and actually uh,
3: a, You go back to 69 That was a pretty decent team That uh, Ted Williams managed yeah, yeah No
2: question about it But back then They had some Interesting personalities They had um, Paul Casanova Ken Hawk Harrelson They picked up briefly mm-hmm. uh, In 67 They had Jim Duckworth They had Camille, Eddie Brinkman Eddie Brinkman Ken McMullen Del Unser uh, had Yeah Del Unser Freddie Valentine mm-hmm. Don Locke Frank Howard The Washington Monument Right uh, and Paul Casanova fit right in there. But uh, some of the pitching, uh, Phil Ortega, Pete
3: Rickard. Yeah, and, and Rickard, of
2: course, was an Oriole, too. Yeah. Tom Cheney, Dave Stenhouse. Oswell. Yeah. Dave Stenhouse, not Stenhouse. Yeah. Dave Stenhouse. Yeah. Tom Cheney, though, struck out 21 batters in a 16-inning game uh, against the Orioles over there in D.C. All right. Great great uh, work this week uh getting the Sorrento and Nagy interviews and the uh the priceless soundbite uh when when he <laughs> says when he says he was around us he was Paul Casanova around the women he was Paul Casanova
3: yeah you know, and he wasn't he, from he, Cuba he was, he, was from he was from Cuba Cuba, Cuba.
2: <laughs> Kazzy, that's not
3: fair that's right That's not fair
2: Thanks to uh, Kyle Ottenheimer for doing double duty uh, today, and you'll be back on tomorrow with Ken Zalis and Sarita. Indeed, I will. Uh, Sarita Hubbard with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show mock drafts galore tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I believe so. I actually have a real draft tomorrow, so I got to get my all my questions into KZ before it starts. All right,
2: do me Thanks. a favor,
3: just tell Sarita I said hello.
1: Uh, I got you. I will game do. Game will, do.
3: will
2: do. Tell tell her it was Craig Casanova. <laughs> no, that's right <laughs> from Cuba. That's right. All right, that's it for the batter round. We hope you enjoyed it uh, tonight after the game. Uh, I'll be at the ballpark tonight, but I plan on doing a Facebook Live thing a- uh, about an hour after the game.
3: I'm from Essex, so I can't really even do a, uh, yeah, you know, you unless I it. go, well, I'm from Essex, hon. <laughs> <fun." laughs> you know, that's the only way I can <laughs> do that. That's the equivalent That's right, exactly. Yeah. All
2: right, thanks for uh, tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you later.